Ireland's general broadcast and in vehicles available to book on or come clear for an outstanding Category 1 emergency. Hello and welcome to General Broadcast. My name is Josh. My name is Simon. Hi and I'm Sarah and I'm a lecturer in paramedic science at UEA. Thanks for joining us again, Sarah. So uh, if you've not heard our first episode on mentorship, you can find that online at generalbroadcast.org.uk. There we were having a general conversation around mentorship, good principles of mentorship and what we do on day one of having a student. In this episode, we're going to be talking a bit more about feedback. We're going to be covering the concept of failure to fail and then we're going to be discussing how to manage the situation where you might have a failing student or student that's not meeting all of their intended learning outcomes and and how we can best support them in that situation but also crucially how we can act as gatekeepers and guardians of the registration by not passing students and doing them a disservice if they don't meet the requirements to be a paramedic and, and get that pin. So let's start talking about feedback and I think it's vital for people to understand that feedback isn't a single conversation. It's not one sit down at the end of placement and say this is how, you, how you've how you done or how you did. Feedback is, is a constant underlying thing that we should be doing as, as mentors throughout the time and throughout the placement that we, we've uh, got a student for and, and throughout the time that we're looking after them. It's very much a process and it happens in, in stages ac- across that course. And I think it's quite difficult to sum up in a in a single acronym or a single pro forma because it is going to be so tailored to them and it is going to be too tailored to, to the situation. But I think the, the first takeaway point is that it's not a single conversation. It, it is it is a process and we need to be giving it consistently and regularly uh, and, and in a consistent fashion. Would you would you all agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to the, you know, like I, I know I'm focusing on the negative, but it shouldn't come as a shock to a student if they do fail or refer a placement. I think it's really unacceptable when it's like no feedback, no feedback, no feedback, right at the end of the placement. Yeah, you haven't achieved. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to refer you. That's completely unacceptable. The student should know throughout the process that they are underperforming, underachieving. And I know we're focusing on the negative here. And actually, there's there's lots of positives from feedback as well. But, but I, I think that that's an important point to get out. Yeah, very much so. It needs to be a conversation. And as as the student goes through this placement, it it needs to be constructive. There's no point saying all the time, oh, you're not very good, you're not very good, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, because that will just create more anxiety for the student. They get some performance anxiety. But at the same time, when you do have, when we talk about the interviews later, when you do have those conversations, it's okay to say, if things don't improve, you are at risk of failing and being really explicit and actually saying it in those terms. Because if you potentially if you say it any other way, we have students come back to us going, I didn't realise that this is what they meant by by what they said. So if you wrap it up and in cotton wool, this, it just goes over students' heads sometimes to so be really clear in what you mean by, well, you're not doing very well at this. Are they not doing very well at it and you've got room to improve? It's not too big an issue. Or are they not doing very well at it? And it's this is something that potentially is going to fail their placements. I completely agree with that. I think that's exactly the right way to go. Students need to need to know, um, and and they need to know in no uncertain terms the the concerns or the the things that need improving on as as you're going through, and that's all part of the process. 
And one, I think one of the nuances with, with giving feedback and being good at giving feedback is that it's going to be tailored not only to the student, as you've described, but you need to be aware of your own biases and your own personality traits that, that will affect the way that you, that you give feedback. And, and whatever you're doing, we, if you read the, the literature, everything says you need to ensure that what you're, what you're saying and the information that you're giving is fruitful, not brutal. So you need to, I think, reflect on your own attitudes as a mentor, whether you're someone who is quite forward with critique. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're just a pessimist, that you only pick up the bad. But some people are, are a lot more comfortable with saying you did this, this, this and this wrong. And you need to bear in mind how that might be interpreted by the student. Uh, but you also might be a mentor that likes to ebb away from conflict. And I feel that I'm probably more that side of the spectrum that I quite like people to be happy. And I find it quite difficult to have a conversation when when someone isn't hitting the, uh, the, the the mark and I'm definitely at risk of being that person that says something like oh you're not really doing as well as you should be there meaning you really need to get your act together but it could be interpreted as oh this is only a small little problem. Yeah those conversations are really difficult and we really shouldn't underestimate how difficult it is and sometimes we think as professionals, even if you think about patients, we think we've said something really clear and we've been really explicit in what we've said. And then when the patient repeats it back to you, you go, no, you, you haven't actually understood what I've said. So it's often good to get students to repeat back to you. So how do you think you are? Where do you think you are? And just to make sure that what you've said, if, especially if you are a bit, a bit on the more what do you call them, dove-like, like I'm like like you, it's a case of, oh, I don't like upsetting people. And so try and break it as gently as possible. So if there is any risk that that message could be lost, getting the student to repeat it back to you, sort of just to make sure that you've got that, that message has actually gone home to where it needs to. Completely agree. And I think expanding on that further as well, it, it it's good to to identify, well, can they reflect on their own practice? And actually, are they aware of their weaknesses? Are they aware of their strengths? Are they identifying where their learning needs are coming from and where their weaknesses are and what they have to do to improve those? And actually that shows insight, which is the first step in towards solving, you know, and, and improving our practice. Yeah, that's that's really useful, as you say, one, to see what kind of a reflective practitioner they are, but it also can be quite useful for preparing yourself to tailor that conversation and we do it in other aspects of our practice don't we before you give bad news before you tell someone that we're discontinuing the cardiac arrest you always ask so what do you understand as having happened how much do you know so that you know how to phrase that conversation and how to direct that conversation and 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 that can also be another really useful point of getting the student to feedback to you their opinion on on how they're doing and and sometimes they think they're doing a lot worse than they are and 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 you you know you you get a, an idea of where they are with confidence levels that can inform other aspects of your mentorship i think another important aspect is actually giving some feedback um anecdotally i see a lot of yeah yeah that was fine and there's no real you know even if they did everything really well then commend that that was done really well and provide really positive feedback because it just reinforces good practice because actually it, it just then 
makes us go, well, I'll take that back and go, well, in future, I will reapply those same principles to these types of jobs again. But yeah, it's also important that we don't ignore constructive criticism, because as we said in the last episode, it's actually sometimes learning from error and learning from things that don't quite go to plan and don't go well that we, we pick and reflect a lot more on. Some of the literature out there suggests that more mature students and, and perhaps students that have already been in workplaces and, and this is maybe the start of a second career are less concerned with the way that feedback is delivered and seem to be a bit more concerned with the the constructive elements. But less mature, younger students who perhaps don't have that life experience the, the the literature demonstrates they can be a lot more sensitive to that criticism and that doesn't mean we shouldn't give it but we should as a mentor just be aware of of how we're delivering that and and as I say ensuring that 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 feedback that we're giving constantly remains beneficial constantly remains fruitful and not detrimental to to their confidence because we can be saying the same thing but just in the delivery can can have big uh, impact on that. We talked in the last episode about day one and setting ground rules and telling the students how things are going to go through the placement. And actually, I think, Josh, you've just hit a really good point that what we probably should do is make it clear to students that is our intention. I, I try and make it clear to my students. One of the main reasons that I came into hospital and, and did stuff is because I want my practice critiqued. I love the fact that every day I have registrars and consultants that I discuss patients with and watch me practice. And then they go, actually, Simon, that that wasn't great. You, you know, you should have done this. You should have done that. You know, what did you think of this? Why did you do that? You know, you did this well, but I would try and expand that further. And actually, that is exactly the learning I want. And I think we need to make it clear to students at the start that that's good. It doesn't necessarily mean that anything's bad. It just means that that's how we all improve. That's how we all develop. And that's the feedback that we should all want. It's not just because they're a student. I still want that as a mentor. Something else that is important to bear in mind as well, Simon, is we we are going to stress the importance of critique and criticism here. And we've already said about safe mistakes and how mistakes are important to learning. But this is feedback not just critique and you should also positively reinforce things that went well and when I reflect on my practice that's something that I 100% haven't given to some students is is the reassuring elements of feedback as well so when I did my my mentorship we we looked at various methods for giving feedback one of them is is something called Pendleton's rules which is essentially the carrot stick carrot method sometimes referred to as the shit sandwich which is you know putting some critical feedback between two bits of good feedback and uh, we had a discussion didn't we whether or not to include this i don't think you can talk about feedback without discussing this in some some format and and it's yeah, broadly been disproven as a as a useful thing and and that's what I was taught on my mentorship, which is that this method of good, bad, good is is not useful because you either get the recency effect or the primacy effect and the um, the, the critical elements can be lost. And I think I took away from that that, OK, you should only give critique. The, the good is just fluff. And I've definitely been told that by mentors previously. The good is just fluff. Just give them what they need to improve on. But I 
I have done that with students and I have definitely done them as this service as their mentor by not giving them the positive reinforcements uh, and, and detailing what was good about what they've done. And I think I've probably harmed their confidence by only giving critical feedback. So something that I've learned with with my experience and I would advocate is, yes, give the critical feedback and, and give it directly so it's not misinterpreted, but give give them what they've done well because otherwise they might think they've not done it well yeah I can't emphasize that enough they if you the students especially the in the early part of their career they they have no idea whether they're doing well or not and if no one tells them they're not going to know so they definitely do need that sort of bit of positive reinforcement in there as well um but obviously as we said don't be afraid to to pull up the negatives as well but they do need to know what they've done well because they won't be able to pick it out themselves at least not initially i think both positive and um, critical feedback is really essential um, because actually like i said earlier positive stuff reinforces what's been done well so they're going more likely to do it again in the future and all the negative is in or say it shouldn't even be really negative it should critical doesn't have to be negative it just has to be about improvement and i think on top of that we also need to go one step further and not just say you need to improve on this. Well, how are we going to improve on that? Is it a case of actually your your knowledge around uh, the differential diagnosis of chest pain is relatively limited? You're, you're aware of myocardial infarction, um, but you know less about the rest of ACS. You know, you're not thinking about things like costochondritis, about PE, about pericarditis, about aortic dissection. What I think we need to do is have a chat about some of those, maybe go away, learn a little bit about those, and we'll then come back and we'll have a chat about that in a few weeks. So turn it into a positive, make it go away, do some learning, make the feedback really useful. Part of my feedback from my consultants is always a bottom uh, a section of the bottom learning points and action plan, and they will always put something in there. Go away and look at this, read this, look up that, you know, do some more study around this, see more patients around eye problems, see more patients around this. So actually, we're always trying to find a solution to the negatives, and that turns it into a positive, and it shows someone that you are building them and developing their practice, and not just going, you're bad at that. I think we need to be careful uh, about the type of feedback that we give Simon because you're in a unique position in, in your emergency department. If you need to see more eye injuries or you need to see more respiratory pathology, you can to a degree reflect sort of what you see and what, what you pick up out of the workload. Whereas students don't have that and, and they have absolutely no control over what they see. So feedback after a cardiac arrest being, well, you just need to do more cardiac arrests is is pretty much non-feedback isn't it if they may never go to another cardiac arrest for the duration of their placement so i think we need to be very specific about what we're choosing to feedback about and sometimes that will be the whole job but sometimes the feedback conversation should be about a specific elements so okay we've just taken mrs miggins with her copd to hospital Let's just debrief around your history take and focus specifically on your history take. This is what went well. This is what didn't go so well. And 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 again, yeah, just just bear in mind that the the conclusion of we need to see more of X might not be possible, and we just need to be aware of that. I think this this comes really nicely to 
that feedback has to be specific to the person and depending on their individual specific circumstances, where they are in their course, what's going on, what are the things they've got coming up, what are the things they've done already. It just sums up really nicely that all of this has to be really individual to them. Yeah, I'd just like to add, um, as I said, it needs to be specific, but start with the students. So ask ask them where they are, what, what they think um, has happened and where, where things are going and also what they would like feedback on because it may be that they've picked up on things that they feel is an issue for them that as a mentor you may not have, have noticed or even considered as an issue. It's just not on, on your wavelength at all and they're really worried about something. So always involve them, have an open conversation with them and see see what's what, what's on their radar, what they're thinking about, what they're anxious about. Then you get it really specific to the to the student. And I'd also encourage mentors to have a little notebook or something where they just write down little debrief notes as the job is going along, because I I will readily forget tiny little things, but actually you'll notice things in the way that students have phrased the question. It might be that they asked a particularly leading question as part of their history tape. Well, if you write down exactly how they phrased it, you can give some specific feedback rather than just going... I didn't really like the way that you asked about his his pain. Uh, oh, well, why not? Uh, I can't remember it. I just remember thinking I'd have phrased it differently. Well, that's missed learning, isn't it? So um, writing notes and taking notes can be really beneficial to that debrief afterwards because you're looking at that job as a mentor and you're looking for that critical and beneficial feedback. Um, I'd also recommend, and I, I think something that I didn't do until later on in my mentoring time, is to refer back to expectations and refer back to the intended learning outcomes that you've you've set in your ground rules and you set at the start of that placement. Because many, many times students, and particularly newer students who have less of a frame of reference, can leave a call feeling a bit disheartened because they didn't pick up on something that is way out of their level of practice currently. And they feel they leave the job feeling like they've done something, they either done something bad or like the job was quote unquote, a, a bad job or a failure. And I think constantly referring back to the, the terms of reference and the ILOs that they have can, can help to, to tailor that feedback because a first year student paramedic on their first or second placement the fact that they had absolutely no idea what the ECG was, uh, even if you're saying, oh, that's a barn door MI, well, that they, they, there's no world that they should be able to pick that up on their first placement, second placement. So ensuring that you're referring back to the ILOs and say, look, this is where you need to be and you're meeting it. If you can exceed it, great, but don't feel bad that you're not exceeding it right now. So I think that we're kind of moving on to failure to fail now, aren't we? And and that concept. So Sarah, I think you're probably best placed to discuss a little bit about failure to fail and uh, and and what that whole concept is and and what the risk of it is. Yeah. So sort of failure to fail is really prevalent across all healthcare courses. It's not specific to pre-hospital environment or nursing or medicine at all, and. What it is, I think it's because we like to see the best in people. So you get your first year student, they come out, they're enthusiastic. They they may not be necessarily the best at everything. And you kind of may have the odd concern. But generally, you're you're happy that actually, for now, they can talk to patients and you give them benefit of the doubt and they go through to year two. Year two, they sort of plod through. They're doing OK. You 
potentially you've got a different mentor in year two, so you're picking up on different things. But again, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. There's time to improve, time to change. And then by year three and this final placement, at this point, they spent possibly, if they're a BSc student, in excess of £80,000 on their course. And in a few weeks' time, they're going to go off and be autonomous practitioners. And you're sitting there thinking, I really wouldn't want the student attending my, my, my relative. I really wouldn't want my PIN number going saying, yep, I'm happy the student is, is capable. So we get to the point at the end of the third year where you've got a student that has kind of done OK, but not necessarily exceptionally in their practice area throughout the three years. And now you come to the point of actually they're not ready to be autonomous practitioners. So I'm not willing to sign them off. And this then causes a lot of stress for the student and incredibly stressful for the mentors as well, because you're aware of what the students invested so far. It's three years of their life, as we said, in excess of £80,000. And if they're a trust student and they're on a sort of apprenticeship pathway, there's even the potential they're losing their livelihood if there's no guaranteed job if they fail the course. So there's a lot of pressure on the mentor. And universities do so much in that, if the student's academically strong, um, but just can't talk to patients, for, for instance, or just can't do some of the more practical skills, then this then became, creates this sort of chasm that it falls on the mentor to, to um, complete, which is really quite unfair. But it's that sort of model, university model that we're in currently, where you do the academic stuff separately from your practical stuff. But they should all come together and you should be supported by your sort of university provider or educational provider, depending on which course your students are on. And and another element of that that I think is is very common within the ambulance service is it's really difficult to maintain a formal mentor-mentee relationship in in the sense that I'm not saying you you develop it in an inappropriate relationship that that's you know relatively easy to to yeah. avoid although it does happen and that's a whole other conversation but you you're often during a placement block spending if they're, if they're your permanent student and I only had permanent students you're spending more time with that person over a two-month period yeah. than you might be your your partner yeah. and it's it's really difficult isn't it to not get to know that person and like them as a colleague and then to be facing that responsibility of having to yeah. you know pot- yeah like you say p- potentially stop them on their on their career or set them back a year or yeah. or anything like that and, that and that's another element isn't it it's really difficult and I think that's why it's so important to try and treat this as a formal process at all times yeah. with formal meetings with formal ground rules being set yeah. and stuff like and that and that's why um all the educational education providers are so hot on getting those initial midpoint and endpoint interviews complete because we talked about ground rules that will be sort of outlaid in your initial interview and then that midpoint is your perfect one to be able to say to the student actually i have concerns about your practice and you can be really explicit at this point and put you were at risk of failing. And if anything, that's really good because it then means that the student can't say that, oh, I didn't understand that when my mentor said that, or when we talked about feedback earlier, that it got lost in translation somehow because it's explicitly written in the pad. But there's no point telling them they're going to fail two days towards the end of their course because that's unfair on the student. They need time to be able to put things into place and, and to turn things around, especially if it's something that no one's mentioned before. And also as a mentor, if you're picking up on things, you're going, hmm, I'm not sure about this. And you said, Josh, about having a permanent student. There's no harm in asking a colleague or speaking to a manager to see if the student can spend some shifts with, with another colleague 
sort of independently get get their opinion going are you seeing what i'm seeing are you seeing something different because different people do react to different people in different ways different personalities etc so it's always worth considering going am i actually seeing the, the true story here I think that's a really good point, Sarah. Actually, we are human and actually you can have a personality clash with people. Like I said, I failed one of my last placements as a student paramedic and I have spoken to multiple people um, and I still feel to this day that that was probably a personality clash with the the mentor because I didn't get any feedback through the entire placement. I don't think that person particularly wanted to mentor and then didn't like university paramedics and right at the last minute told me I was going to fail and that was really disheartening really upsetting to me especially when you get right to the end of your course but actually the university were really supportive and they gave me another placement and got you know an opinion from another mentor and people have different interactions with different people and then it was it was fine and I think we have to reassure students that actually just because you fail someone doesn't mean it's the end of everything obviously we need to cross that line if it is a final placement and there's been multiple fails and multiple concerns from multiple different people and that's a different matter but I think just failing one placement it can just be situational it doesn't necessarily have to be related to poor practice um, so I think it's it's fine to acknowledge that actually we do have personality clashes and as Josh says there are relationship differences and I think sometimes it's just actually, you know what, as a mentor, I'm going to step back from this. And I think you'd be better off with someone else. Sometimes is it an honest conversation. And also, we don't know what's going on in the student's um, life at this point. So it could be something, particularly if they've been a good student between the first and second years, and all of a sudden something's changed and you notice a difference in them, especially if you've been there sort of ped throughout. And then all of a sudden going, where, where are you now? Now, is that because they're struggling to make the step up to being that autonomous practitioner from being able to follow you around and having their hand held and being supported and always having that safety net? Was something changed? And we know by the end of their courses, whether they're apprentices, whether they're BSc, MSc, by the end of their course, they, they are tired and they mostly just want to get over the line and get, get it done. And they haven't got much left, not, not much mental resilience left to, to get this finished. And sometimes it's just a bit of bad feedback and it just knocks them perhaps disproportionately to, to how it would in perhaps their second or first year sometimes. And, and I've actually seen, like, as Josh said earlier, if you give people too much negative feedback, it can can spiral them. And actually a student I had that was bordering on being re- referred, actually I gave them loads of probably negative feedback and actually that spiraled them into worse performance like they were questioning themselves they they wouldn't make decisions because they were so worried and do you know what I I saw it exactly in myself like that that placement that I repeated my new mentor had to take me aside and being like look I, I know you failed your last placement but you're not making decisions and because I think because you're worried that you're going to second guess everything you're doing and that I'm going to judge you for that she, and all she had to do was go you are doing fine. I'm happy, but you need to make decisions. And I need to say, and then I started making the decisions and she was fine. And actually sometimes students just need that reassurance and that support that actually just because you failed once doesn't mean it's going to fail again. And sometimes it's about identifying, yes, that was a problem, but this is what we're going to do about it. Don't second guess everything just because of one step back. It's such a great feeling as an educator. If you have a student that you can see is struggling and you manage to turn them, help support them to turn them around. And that, that really is a good feeling to go, actually, no, you're really struggling, but we've done this, this and this. And I'm, I've been instrumental in that, in helping you d- develop. And that is a really good feeling to, to get them through. And that does sometimes mitigate some of the stresses that come with being an educator, which we really shouldn't underestimate or overlook. 
the the last point I'd like to make it on that is is about if if the students particularly have they have some degree of like learning needs identifying that and asking the student their opinion on that so I've had students before that are obviously dyslexic I, I know that um, you know people might be dyspraxic so if they maybe struggle with a skill because they're dyspraxic or if they struggle to retain information because they're dyslexic or do things like that trying to contact the trust contact the university and try and get them the support where those specific issues can really help them and you don't have to do any of this on your own the university does or your education provider got to stop saying university sorry so your education providers do have linked lecturers they do have links that are more than willing to come and support the, the educators so do speak to, speak to them um sort of sooner rather than later and then they can help put things in place and they'll often have an overview as much as we can't break confidentiality and tell you necessarily how the students are doing academically unless the student wants to tell you themselves we can we'll have an overview of that and perhaps be able to give you some pointers to to support you so do use your education providers i think that's key for all of these points isn't it whether the student's failing or not or or whether you're not you're having a a breakdown in relationships or, or the relationship is becoming difficult early engagement with the educational facility can can just help to get a second eye on the on the ball and perhaps if you've uh, not had particularly good feedback from from the previous mentors they can act as that that link sort of aspect and and uh, say okay well the concerns that you're having have been raised before let's you know really dig down into it and really see what what the root cause is yeah and I, and I know when I've had friends that have been on the university course and have been coming out and have been placed with our station. And at the time we were doing co-mentoring around the station. And I'd said to my friends, I'm not going to be your mentor for any period of your course because it's inappropriate. And, and raised that to the university very early on and just said, we're both professional, but it's not fair to other people. And it's inappropriate for me to mentor these number of students because I've got previous relationships and don't put either of us in that position and and that what could have been an awkward position was uh, was avoided because of early early engagement with the educational facility that also ties in with what we said in the first episode about social media usage and about keeping that this relationship completely professional and if things do happen between you to raise them and be open and honest about it from the start and I personally will avoid being friends with people that I'm mentoring on social media for this for this reason as we said in the first episode that you can then be become sort of social media friends for want of a better word once once you're qualified and your colleagues then and that relationship has changed there's a power imbalance there too whilst it's this professional imbalanced relationship it's kind of keeping the student at, at this arm's length and if things do start going wrong then then to raise it so we we've had a, a broad conversation around feedback and and the main takeaway point is that that it's a process and no conversation should be a shock and failure or underperformance is again a process and needs to be dealt with at multiple points through the placement the the, the key way that you would deal with that before any failure conversation would be an action plan wouldn't it so sarah what kind of things do we need to think about with with an action plan when we're writing one and having a conversation have you got any tips for that or or any sort of pitfalls that you've seen that mentors have perhaps fallen into with with action plans yeah. for students Look, I've, i know i've said it before and i need to keep saying it just to get the message really clear start 
earlier rather than later with, with the action plans because the student as i said before doesn't have time to put these into place then then it's not worth it's not worth doing so all universities or education providers will have policies for what to do to write action plans but on the whole we want you to look at sort of smart and grow models grow is your goal what's the reality so the goal is sort of i don't know be able to do an ecg what's the reality are you able to do one what and when are the other parts of it and sort of going through those and making it really specific to the learner because the learner often knows they want to need to improve but depending where they are in their studies they don't know how to do this and this is where a good mentor comes in and gives them that guidance and structure to go right you need to work on your ECGs but you you don't know how you've read the book and it's not making sense so right we're going to do this we're going to do this and we're going to do this and being really specific about how you're going to get there and once you've done sort of you grow you can then tie it into your smart um, action plans and I think we've probably talked about smart quite a bit if you've been in healthcare for any length of time but it's is it um, achievable is it measurable can you set it within a time frame so if you can't do that if it's a bit sort of too too nebulous or woolly if you go, yeah, I just need you to improve on ECGs, the student isn't going to know where to go with that. So like I say, you've got to go through and go, right, I want you to go and watch X, Y and Z video. I want you to go and do this e-learning and then you're going to do the ECG on every patient we attend this day. And then I want you to um, interpret it. I want you to build a file of ECGs and then we can go through and debrief. So just give them that structure to, to go through and do it that way. There's quite a knack to yeah. it, isn't it? In preparing for this, I've been reading some of the the placement comments and action plans that I've I'd written for previous students, and uh, uh, it roughly follows a, a, a smart sort of format, but it definitely could have been clearer. And um, I think just making things absolutely there's no room for misinterpretation. Um, with with like you say just following that format and and the key is how they can improve specific how mm. what you want them to go away and do and what you then want them to do on the next placement because it's I, I don't think the only thing we should do is say go away and learn mm. this go away and look at this ECG but what specific modifications do you then want them to do on placements so okay you you're struggling with looking at ECGs I want you to go away and have a laminated cut out of the 12 rules of the ECG or whatever it is or cardiac axis diagrams or something and whenever you look at an ECG I want you to go through and verbalize and answer to me these 12 uh, questions or 10 questions whatever you're using uh, and have those specific changes that the the student needs to be making in your opinion. I think it's important for the for the mentor to have some degree of background of resources and, and a variety of resources because all people learn in different ways there's no point going go and read that four thousand word textbook on cardiac failure if if that person doesn't really learn by reading that well they might listen to podcasts or they might you know watch videos or they might prefer doing so it's about having a variety of different ways and knowing your student and knowing how they learn to support that and 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 helping them with that and then applying that as we've said throughout both of these podcasts applying that to practice so 
when we see this again in the future, we're going to do this. And then we'll notice that there's an improvement because then it's measurable, which is all part of the smart process. Actually, we've seen the improvement. So that's a really good point, Simon, That um, what, and something we've not touched upon, but what method best suits the way your student learns? So we live in a time where there's never been more information out there. I think when I did my training back in 2003, the internet was only just starting. We still had Ask Jeeves and YouTube hadn't been invented. <laughs> When when you think about it, and and this is just my my career so far, and now there's this whole world of um, different means of learning from e-learning to videos, um, like you say, podcasts, quite rightly. So and most students will have done something similar to VARC, and so they'll know what their best learning style is. And you've got Pinterest in there as well if they're visual learners. So it's finding that out from this, from your student, asking them how they like to best learn, and then tailoring it to them. That's so essential for not just for action plans, but across the board. I think there's a lot to be said about teaching uh, as a form of education as well, isn't it? And and the one of the reasons that we started doing this podcast is because I find teaching other people or doing a presentation on something the best way for me to retain a lot of information about the subject. And I was finding doing CPD, I was writing the articles practically anyway. So uh, that's we that's kind of how this whole podcast came about. So. If if you can encourage your student to either teach you the subject that they're struggling and then you can sense check them or even better, get multiple students on the st- on the same station to get their heads together and do a little bit of a CPD education session one afternoon, a couple of a couple of hours in one of the training rooms. You can help them book it out. And if they can all bring a subject that they've been struggling with that they then teach other people on. That's the best way to, to to learn and retain stuff. And then you've got students helping one another. So there's, there's loads of good stuff out there. If anyone wants to write us a podcast and uh, come and do a podcast with us, that'd be great as well. Uh, and we can, we, you know, we can help to do that because th- that's all, that's a lot of what our podcast stuff is, is it's it's CPD opportunities that, that we wanted to know a bit more about and then are sharing with people. So doing the teaching yourself or, or, or writing it for other people to learn from is a great way to learn yourself. So that's been a very long discussion, but hopefully a useful discussion around feedback. I've certainly uh, learned a lot and um, have a lot to reflect on about the way that I've mentoring. It's been it's been certainly good for me. Hopefully it's been good to listen to. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming along and, and uh, suggesting this subject for us. Are there a couple of small takeaway points that, that you think we should leave the listeners with? Thank you. It's been it's been fun. So thank you for having, having me. Um, it's been a really good recording. So There are four points I'd like to make. So know where the student is in their educational journey and does it match where they are in their practice and their behaviours and their skills, etc. Be open to challenge and questions from students. And as we said before, it will help keep your practice up to date. One of my key points also is to tell students early if they have concerns and then support them to address them. As we said, leaving it too late doesn't help you, create stress for you and for them. And my key one, and one that I have to remember myself repeatedly, is it's okay not to know everything. It's okay, you're supposed to be the expert, but it's okay to go, I don't know. And then to use JRCalc, use Google, use the resources out there to, to learn yourself and update yourself. But that does take confidence and practice. 
Perfect, excellent. Some uh, some wise lessons for us all to take away there, I think. So thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us. That was um, that was a really nice chat and uh, I'm hopefully going to be a really useful episode for people. If you want to read the article, then we've put two articles up on the, on the website, which is generalbroadcast.org.uk. If you want to get in touch with us, either to give us feedback on this episode, if you enjoyed it, then uh, you can go through our contact page or to email us uh, through generalbroadcastpodcast.outlook.com. And if you've got an idea for an episode like Sarah did and you've got some expertise that you want to, to get out there and, uh, and help us create an episode, we'd love to hear from you and we're happy to collaborate on, uh, on some ideas because we're all about shared learning. So uh, give us a shout through those contact points. But that's it from me. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us and uh, I hope you'll all join us for the next episode. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks everyone for listening.